You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Chad Dundas, alongside Ben Folks, as always. We're both senior writers in MMA for The Athletic, and we meet here every single week to chop up all the prominent, newsworthy, and hilarious happenings in the world of mixed martial arts. Ben, we are returned from the woods. Had ourselves quite a time. Camping over the weekend, along with uh, 30 or so of our closest friends. I did hear your daughter refer to it as glamping. She did? Yes. Maybe because you guys have a tent that is roughly the size of a tank, like a like a military tank. I believe it's the biggest commercially available tent. Family tent. So the REI Kingdom 8. Kingdom 8. It's got two rooms, rear vestibule. Uh, you know, when you got three kids and you take up a huge amount of room, you can't just run down to the Army-Navy surplus store and pick up any old wall tent. You got to go big or go home. Would you care to comment on reports that the Kingdom 8 became kind of a vomitorium over over this weekend? I can confirm that. The final night of camping, my six-year-old daughter, apparently who also referred to it as glamping, uh, I think she ate too many snacks, and she barfed all over her sleeping bag, all over the warm jacket she was wearing, all over the inside of the tent, puked on the wall of the tent. Wow. Which is some impressive shit, if you ask me. It was frothy and bright pink. And uh, I cleaned it up. This happened in the night? Yes. See, we, our tent was right next to yours. I was completely undisturbed by this. Well, so. no one's going to hear a little girl barfing over Ben Folks' snores. Because those <laughs> snores are loud as hell. Well, they saved me on this occasion then. Because I had a peaceful, restful night's sleep. Yeah, luckily we were camping with so many people that like finding an extra sleeping bag was not a big deal. But at the moment that it happened, I was like, oh, we are screwed. <laughs> like, this is basically the worst thing that could happen on a camping trip. A child throws up inside the tent yeah. and all over all of their stuff. You know, uh, the most interesting thing that happened to me probably was on the way out of there, I very nearly hit a baby deer. Oh, there were baby deer all over the road. I saw all like over four. Just ran right out in front of the car and didn't even have time to think, oh shit, because it was, it was over that quickly. But as it went by, like it, it narrowly avoided the front of the car. And then it was like, it was so close that I could have reached out my open driver's side window and touched it as it went by. And as we went by, I heard it, I can only describe it as a bleat, a bleat of terror from the baby deer as it realized that it was very close to getting run over. And I was like, I didn't even know they made that noise. And it was like right outside the window. It was a, a real uh, nature moment for everybody were in the kids, car right there. Did you were your kids awake? Were they? Did they they were. The they deer? were awake for it. was right at the start. How would your kids have handled it if you had just plowed over a deer and turned it to red mist in the middle Not of the great. road? Not great at all. It would have been th- that would have been something that would probably come up in therapists' uh, appointments years from now. Yeah, you know you're not supposed to slam on the brakes or swerve because that's how most people get in an accident due to game in the road. You're essentially just supposed to heartlessly murder with your with your automobile whatever animal wanders out into the road. Which, if it's a baby deer, I can imagine, you know, might might not be the easiest thing in the world to do. Although you're going to minimize body damage. 
on the car. Not on the deer. <laughs> the deer is going to suffer insane body damage. You're, you're thinking of this in a real practical perspective. I like that. Yeah, man. Like, well, I don't want to endanger everyone in the minivan. No. No, you don't want that. Still, lucky you didn't hit that deer. I don't know that your children would have uh, forgiven you for that one. Hey, guys, a great way to look fresh and to- toss a little money in the CME coffers is to pick up a Cowboy Astronaut Cigarettes t-shirt or a Dundasso t-shirt that are always available on demand all the time whenever you want them over at CottonBureau.com. Just go over to CottonBureau.com today and pick up some CME merchandise. We got music again this week from our guy, Dion Rodriguez, a music producer from Deltona, Florida. If you like what you hear from him on the podcast, you can check out more over at SoundCloud.com slash dbeat 7 Again, that's the word beats with a Z. Beats. 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 Three rounds as usual this week in the co-main event podcast. In round number one, Leon Edwards looked pretty great on Saturday against Rafael Dos Anjos, but with six decisions during his eight-fight win streak, what's it going to take for us to remember him as more than just the three-piece and a soda guy? And in round number two, after reports emerged that he choked a dancer at a strip club back in April, John Jones admonished us all not to believe everything we read on the internet. Question is, where does that leave his multiple apologies, crying jags, claims of tainted supplements, and declarations that he's turning over a new leaf? And in round number three, UFC 240 is this weekend from beautiful Edmonton. Go Blue Bombers, by the way. And does Max Holloway unexpectedly face a must-win against Frankie Edgar? All that plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff, but first... Like we always do about this time. Let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. Blue Bombers? Canadian Football League? Is that yeah, what that Edmonton is? Edmonton Blue Bombers. Yeah, like everybody's supposed to know that. I say that every time we talk about Edmonton on the podcast. What do you? What is it with you and the Blue Bombers? Go Blue Bombers. Is that just your one team you know in the Canadian League? I know all the teams in the Canadian Football League. Our mutual friend Adam Boomer used to play for the Blue Bombers. Oh, that's who he played for? Yeah. You know all the teams? I know some of the teams. Saskatchewan. Rough Riders. Okay, that's an easy one. Everybody knows that. Moose Jaw. That's not a team. That's like a minor league baseball team. It could be a team. Moose Jaw Yankees up there north of the border. Don't question Nova Scotia. That's, there's no team in Nova Scotia. God damn it. I'm going to... We're, we're not done with this. We're, let's move on for now, but we're not done with this topic. Toronto Argonauts. Oh, come on. Everybody knows the Toronto Argonauts. First question this week comes to us from Pope Francis. Making a little time to email the CME. That's what we're doing now. We're not even like doing a thing like, hey, let me hit him with like an obscure rugby player's name. It's just we're straight up being like, I'm the fucking Pope and I have a question for the podcast. He writes, brothers, the fuck. The actual fuck was that Juan Adams and that Tom Hardy fight. Now, I think the Pope is confused here. Yeah. He either means Greg Hardy or he's trying to make a joke. Or, yeah, he's still reeling from having watched Locke with us a couple weeks ago. Juan passing the what the fuck test so clearly that even my dogs looked at looked at me like I think the Pope might have been un, under the influence of some substances when he wrote this because there's copious errors in here. Let's well, just say. I assume the Pope is always drunk. Bruh, why? Please disco- discourse this cluster shit. So Ben, Greg Hardy goes out there over the weekend, gets a 45 second TKO victory over the big fella Juan Adams who had been asking for this fight. Wanting this fight, believe he wore a hashtag fuck Greg Hardy romper around bleeding up to uh, UFC on ESPN4. Juan Adams had it all going except for the actual fight part. A lot of excitement prior to the bell is what you're saying? Brought a lot of excitement prior to the bell. Early in this thing, after these two guys had had exchanged jabs, 
Juan Adams gets in on a single leg, and then I saw on the internet that someone said he accepted 30 unanswered blows from Greg Hardy, who immediately starts kind of like half hammer fisting, half punching him to an area near the back of the head, maybe on the side of the head. Yeah, I saw our dude Chuck Mindenhall over on The Athletic referred to it as, I think, the I don't know the exact wording of it, but like like somebody trying to stuff laundry like into a bag. Like that was the motion, basically, that Greg Hardy was making there. Yeah. They weren't quite hammer fists, but he was just... Just repeatedly slapping away at that head while Juan Adams just held on to that single leg like it was a piece of driftwood in a storm. Just thinking like, okay, any minute now he's going to turn it all right. He's going to finish this takedown. But I don't. he just froze there. Yeah. Didn't drive in for the takedown. Didn't move. Didn't try to do anything. Just like waited there. Like just was going to see if he gets tired. See if he gets tired of punching <laughs> you in the head. Yeah. Uh, I think, I mean, he was legitimately stunned, I think, by... A series of blows there by Greg Hardy. Anyway, 45 seconds into the first round, referee Dan Mergliata, who I can only describe as unimpressed here for for some reason, steps in to call it off. Juan Adams is not out, so he immediately protests the stoppage. But you can tell he's a little unsteady on his feet. Yeah. In any case, Greg Hardy wins the damn thing. Uh, He improves to, what is he here, 5-1. and in his MMA career, now two and one in the UFC. He's won two in a row since losing his promotional debut to Alan Crowder uh, all this year. He's fought three times in the UFC this year. And so now, Ben, I think we have to face what is, I guess, maybe the two most pertinent questions about Greg Hardy. Number one, what is the UFC going to do with this guy in the short term? And number two, how are we going to handle it if it turns out that Greg Hardy is like a really good MMA fighter? I still don't feel that we are where we need to be to take two all that seriously yet. He's He's got a long ways to go. Juan Adams, let's say a solid lower middle of the pack UFC heavyweight. So Greg Hardy gets a, a 45 second TKO win over him. I feel like from here on out though, Greg Hardy's going to, uh, he's going to have to pick up some slightly more competitive fights. You'd think so, right? Because... Even the UFC can't justify giving him a bunch of tomato cans over and over again. Like yeah. it's got to start to get a little more serious. I mean, this one was more serious than the last one. It's start. To, it's got to kind of continue a pace there. But I think what was instructive about this fight with Juan Adams, as short as it was, like you said, at first they're both standing there and they're both just basically trying to jab each other as hard as they can in the face, and both of them landing there. And where it seemed like Juan Adams went wrong was by being like, "Okay, we all." From what we've seen of this guy, know that he's weaker on the ground. If I can just get him there. And he goes for that single leg and then just kind of gets ragdolled with a whizzer and ends up on bottom there. And that's where it all starts to go wrong for him. So it's like, we know Greg Hardy is dangerous early on in a fight. We also know that it's not going to be as simple as just being like, I'm going to go in there, jab this guy a couple times, and then I'm going to single leg his ass. And then that's where I'm going to... Like, you do have to have a little bit better of a game plan. We've seen this with other fighters before where he can actually turn what is essentially a weakness. The fact that people know that if you get him on the ground, he's still a little bit more of a novice there and he's less dangerous if you can get him on the ground. But if you make it like just kind of a panicked, I have to get to this guy, I have to get this guy on the ground as soon as possible, then that becomes a thing he can use against you. Like you can't go in there just being like, all right, first opportunity I'm shooting for a takedown because... 
that you know, 45 seconds in, the guy's still dangerous. The guy's still big and extremely powerful and a really good athlete. He can use that obvious thing that you're going to try to do and turn it against you. Yeah. What are we going to do? And I mean sort of industry-wide, not just you and me. Because I feel like at least the people who cover the sport for a living are hanging around maybe taking a wait-and-see approach to how Greg Hardy does in the UFC. But, like, I don't want to speak for everyone, but I feel like there's a lot of people out there hoping that something happens so that Greg Hardy is not around. Right, because we don't, like, it's a complicated thing that we'd rather not deal with, yeah. it seems. So what's our editorial strategy? Both here, industry-wide? Yeah, industry-wide. If Greg Hardy is, like, the next Andre Arlovsky of this shit. Like, 15 years from now, he's out here fighting Ben Rothwell for the third time. Wow. <laughs> That's, is that supposed to be like a best case scenario or like what? It's a reasonable scenario, right? Because I agree with you. I don't think that we are to the point where we have to like fall down on our hands and knees and bow and proclaim Greg Hardy the next big thing in the heavyweight division. He's got a long way to go to prove that he's got anything approaching those kind of skills. But like this win over Juan Adams, I feel like sets him up for some bigger tests in the UFC and kind of hammers home like this guy's not going anywhere for a while. Yeah. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I I mean, I think somebody was asking me about this in the mailbag, and I was thinking about it, how it seems like Greg Hardy, he could handle this, or maybe could have handled it, in a way where we'd eventually get past it. Yeah. Or more quickly get past That's it. That's the thing. Like, one of the big things is that he has absolutely not done that. No. And yet... And seems like committed... Like, that he's not going to do it, right. and he's just going to ride it out. Yes, he's committed to not handling it, to not referencing it, to not, like, apologizing or whatever you would want him to do. And yet, I feel like there's an expectation that people are supposed to treat him as though he has, right? Well, the like, UFC keeps trying to sell it that way, right? Yeah. As, like, a redemption story. Right. Like, this is a guy who's using martial arts, and he's turning his life around, and, like... But it's that's not what's really happening. I mean, that's a, a narrative that we've seen before, and that it would be nice to be able to project onto this situation but it's not what's really happening he has never done any of the work that would be required of somebody to have a redemption out of this because he hasn't even really acknowledged it or admitted to anything or apologized for anything he has not done anything where you can say he did this terrible thing and then he came out of it a better person in the end and learned from it and you know everybody grew as human beings that hasn't happened instead He's just treating it as if, like, he has haters. Oh, man, there's always going to be some haters. Like, I don't care if you boo me, whatever. Like, people, Some people are going to hate, and I just got to... And it's like, no, man, it's not like people are just hating on you because they're, they're envious or, like, they don't like your style or they think you're too cocky. It's not like that. It's not just, like, the, the hater phenomenon. It's like you did this thing. Everybody believes that you did this thing. And, and we don't have is, to believe it. He got convicted of it in well, a court of law. And then it was later... I mean, yes, fine. But everybody is reacting to that thing, that one thing that you did, and that is the one thing that you seem completely unwilling to engage with. Yeah, it's, that's not how redemption stories work, right? Redemption stories don't work that you were good at football and then got excommunicated from the NFL because you were too much of a like reprehensible human being for any of the 32 teams in the national football league, which is saying something because uh, there are some people who continue to be employed over there who have done wrong. And Greg Hardy was obviously a really good football player. So you would think 
Like people would bend over backwards to continue to let him play over there. And yet none of the 32 teams in the NFL would sign him uh, when came time to do so. Like you don't get to be a quote unquote redemption story just because you went and were good at something else. Like that's not how it works. You have to like uh, express some remorse at some point, I think to be eligible for a redemption story. But in the absence of that, and as we continue to, to face the more and more likely reality that Greg Hardy is going to be a thing that sticks around in the UFC. Like I, I feel like it's a real tricky question for not only the people who cover the sport, but also uh, fans of the sport in how we will handle it because there is interest there. Clearly there is interest around Greg Hardy. That's why the UFC continues to promote the guy. The stories that you write about him do a lot of views uh, NFL people want to read about Greg Hardy. MMA people want to read about Greg Hardy. So like he draws from a couple of different fan bases and there is interest there, but the interest comes from a real dark place. Yeah. And so I don't know, man, it's a tough question to answer of, of how we will handle it. If he just continues to be an MMA fighter who has done a really bad thing and expressed zero remorse for it. Yeah. You know, on my drive back from this camping trip, my wife and I were listening to this American life. And part of it was talking it's this apology from Dan Harmon, the guy who was the creator of like uh, Rick and Morty yeah. and the community and how, I don't know if you heard about this, but the, he had been accused of like a, a sexual misconduct, like workplace sexual harassment kind of thing. One of the writers who worked for him. And then like on, I believe it was his podcast issued a lengthy apology, like seven and a half minute apology, but it is a blueprint basically for how to apologize and how to actually get the redemption story. And it was like, a really thorough and specific, like, here's what I did wrong. Here's like what, like why it was wrong, exactly how it had happened, you know, why I was doing it, all that kind of stuff. And it's like, it's the antithesis of how Greg Hardy and the UFC and everybody has played this. And it also though, people wonder like, like one of the questions that prompted us talking about it in the mailbag on the athletic this week was somebody being like, why does Greg Hardy end up with so much more of the attention for this stuff when there's other people who have done bad things? And it's like, the reason he, he gets more of the attention is because he gets more of the attention. The same reason he keeps ending up on ESPN, why he's a guy with, you know, pretty novice skill set and a novice uh, record as a professional, but has been on the, the sports biggest stage in the spotlight way sooner than anybody else would it's those two things go together yeah I think. and like i don't know your question about if it's 15 years from now and greg hardy is still a thing like i think in a way maybe he has the right calculation that if he's going these people can't keep this up forever eventually if i'm still like beating people up eventually they'll kind of get rid of they'll just get tired of it they'll just get tired of saying the same thing and if i'm not giving them anything back and engaging with it then like there's nothing new being added to the story except the same like outrage that just dims over time. Honestly, maybe he's correct in that calculation. Cause I, I mean, if it's 12 years from now, I don't think we're still like, I think we would have just kind of worn ourselves out with it. Yeah. Maybe that's true. Uh, by the way, a couple people over in the, uh, comments of the live stream, letting me know, uh, it's the Winnipeg blue bomber. Oh, no, not so fucking smart now. Are you Edmonton Eskimos? So once again, like I said, encyclopedic is knowledge Edmund of the Eskimo, CFL. Is that like the Canadian League Washington Redskins? Yeah, you'd think that, wouldn't you? It's know, a little bit. They all might want to revisit. Vancouver has the BC Lions. Yeah. I, there's something cool about that. I don't even know why. You know who I think plays for the BC Lions is former uh, Montana State quarterback Travis Lule. Okay. Watched the BC Lions game in a bar in Vancouver when I was up there with my wife. Calgary Stampeders. Yeah. 
believe Stampeders? Dave, Dave, Dickins, a- Dave Dickinson might be with the Stampeders in, okay. a, uh, in a coaching role. Told you, encyclopedic knowledge, right? I mean, anybody from the Big Sky Conference who ends up in the Canadian National Football League, uh, Chad Dundas might, might know what you're up to. I'm all over it. Next question this week comes to us from Peyton Manning. Well, all right. We're really what? scraping the bottom of the barrel here in terms of our originality <laughs> for pen names. For some reason, when people write the podcast, they feel like they need to have a pen name. I appreciate the scope, though, that we go from a clearly inebriated Pope Francis to Peyton Manning. Can we give a little bit of love to the big ticket Walt Harris's? Walt Harris finishes Alexi Olnick in 12 fucking sections, putting him 2-0 in 2019. He's got to be the most underrated heavyweight on the roster, right? I mean, Walt Harris, Ben, at this point, he has won, well, he's actually won four in a row, but he had the fight against Andre Arlovsky at UFC 232 in December of last year overturned because he tested positive uh, for what I think later turned out to be a, a tainted supplement. He he suffered essentially no uh, suspension for it. Yeah, he was fought back de- like five months later. Yeah, fought in December, came back, fought and beat Sergey Spivak in May, and now... Uh, knocks out Alexi Olnick in the first round at UFC on ESPN4. Both of these wins, by the way, back-to-back knockouts in under a minute for Walt Harris. 36 years old, it does feel a little bit like he has come into his own in a way. Like, four-fight win streak, essentially, if you wipe out the no contest against Andre Arlovsky in the heavyweight division, nothing to sneeze at. And this uh, 12-second KO of Alexi Olnick with the sort of, like, jumping knee and then just strokes him with a left hand. Yeah. Uh, pretty impressive. Yeah, I mean, it is tough to read too much into a 12-second knockout. We just don't get a chance to see you work. But what we did see of him, you were like, well, for one thing, Alexei Olenek looked like he was moving in wet cement for all 12 seconds of this fight. And maybe it was because of that that Walt Harris, you look at him and you go, man, this guy is really light on his feet. He's really out there moving for a heavyweight. But yeah, he goes out there and throws a jumping knee and then just, you know, laces him with that straight punch. And you're like, okay. That guy is showing you something that is missing from a whole lot of heavyweights out there right now. Just everybody has like the power. Everybody can hurt you, but not everybody can move like that. And so that does get you a little bit excited. Next question is we comes to us from Richie McCaw. He writes, after watching Rothwell Arlovsky, old man heavyweight fights don't need to be 15 minutes. Both guys were exhausted at the end of this. I think 12 minutes is probably enough. Should we change it up to go three rounds of four minutes or a five, four, three model just to save our eyeballs and these quote unquote masters athletes. What do you think, Ben? Should we cut the, the old big fellows some slack here? Well, we appreciate hearing from uh, former captain of the, the New Zealand all blacks, Richie McCall, a lot of sportsmen. Yeah. Listening to the podcast. Out lot, there. Well, we're, we're very pleased at all the support we get from national international sportsmen. But here's what I was thinking after reading this question. I was like, okay, we all like a good, you know, one round heavyweight fight. And we might give them five minutes to work. Maybe though we do it kind of like in pride. Remember where they would do a, a 10 minute first round to try to encourage finishes. And then like two, five minute rounds after that. What if with heavyweights, like especially old man heavyweights, if, if you're over a certain age or if there's over a certain combined age, maybe you do one five minute round and then round two, uh, three minutes, uh, round three, 60 seconds. Get it done. Wrap it up, B. We're not trying to be here for the full 15. How about this? We, we just... know the, the potential for exciting action in an old man heavyweight fight decreases as the rounds go on. How about we just go to exhaustion? 
where like the ref at any point, he tells him at the beating, like, okay, like we got to keep this going. If I see any exhaustion, I'm calling this off. And then it's just a draw? Yeah. Okay. Referee steps in. He's like the first time both guys grab their, the like hem of their shorts and stand there just breathing at each other. I'm waving this off. Yeah. So let's make it look good, fellas. Yeah. I, if I see you guys standing there with both of your, your bellies heaving as you're just trying to catch your breath, I'm going to start to count. And if I get to three, it's over. I like it. I think this is no a good... No one gets uh, a win bonus. Everybody just goes home. Good rules innovation. Next question comes to us from Eric from Texas who writes, Sarone versus Gaethje. Hot fucking fire. Am I right? You're right. Well, yeah, Eric. You're right. You're absolutely right. Cerrone versus Gaethje. There's, I don't want to, we don't want to raise the expectations too high, but there's no way that that fight is bad. Right. They no just way. like, that's the reason they're doing it. Like you don't need to tell me a story about Cerrone versus nope. Gaethje. Nope. You don't need to have it for any real reason. I mean, you don't even need to have it really in the octagon. You could have it in the back in front of the popcorn stand yeah. and I'm still going to watch it. Parking lot of a TGI Fridays. Doesn't matter. It's going to be good. And you're right, it doesn't need to be for any clear stakes, which maybe, I don't we've seen fighters who get in and out of this kind of role before. Donald Cerrone has tried at times, it seems, to break out of it, to kind of just be like, okay, let me get a little more focused career-wise, and then something will happen. He'll have a loss, he'll have a setback in a big fight, and then he'll go, ah, fuck it. Right. And then you end up in fights like these. And Gaethje has kind of made a hardcore lifestyle commitment Yeah. at this point. Yeah. And so it's like, okay, we're kind of catching them both at the right time where you can do this. Yeah. And we've talked about on the podcast before, I think it's a real testament to Donald Cerrone that he has created this kind of uh, uh, aura around himself that, especially in the modern era of the UFC, I feel like he's one of the few fighters that doesn't really need any promotional help. Like he doesn't need to have a narrative around him. He doesn't even really need to be part of the title picture or be the champion. Like we all like the way Donald Cerrone fights and we like the way that he has comported himself as a competitor. And when he fights, we'll watch regardless of, you know, what the stakes are or really where he even is in his career, right? Like he just uh, got kind of beat up by Tony Ferguson and lost that fight via doctor stoppage when he blew his own nose and his eyes swelled up before the third round. And I feel like we roll out of that and into this Justin Gaethje fight and that might as well not even have happened. Like right. we're not yeah. even going to talk about yeah. that. It's totally irrelevant that the Cowboy just lost. We just want to watch him fight. And if we can watch him fight against a guy like Justin Gaethje, I think it's very much... Uh, cut from the same cloth in a lot of ways, all the better. Because granted, we talked about this, I think a week or two ago about Justin Gaethje. Like a lot of Gaethje's early mystique was built around the fact that he went, what, 15-0 and or 17-0 and in World Series of Fighting and was the lightweight champion there and fought in this really like, uh, you know, swing for the fences, bite down on your mouthpiece and throw punches from your back pocket fighting style and yet was really successful with it. He's been a little bit hit or miss in the UFC with the same fighting style. But at the same time, like he's another one of these guys that's just like, he brings it every time we know what his fights are going to look like. And we're going to watch no matter what the linear story around the fight happens to be. And so you put these two guys in there together. There's just nothing not to like. Yeah. And though somebody was asking us, I believe on the athletic live Q and a thing that we were doing last week, like, Everybody, it seems, has similar feelings for these two guys. Like, you like them. They're just the, the guys you can always depend on for a bloody good time. And now they're going to go in there and basically fuck each other up, probably. And somebody's got to lose. 
and that feel, who do you even pick here? Like, who do you root for? Like, do you root for just the, the god of violence? Is that it? Yeah. Are, I, are we just offering this fight up as a as a sacrifice on the altar of the god of violence? Yeah. I mean, I think obviously there there are going to be people who are like hardcore cowboy fans and people who are hardcore Justin Gaethje fans. But everything you would like about one guy, you would have to like about the other guy too. He True. has all the same things, really. True. And like, I guess that's a valid question. Like, frankly, I'm going into this, even though I like both guys, without like a personal rooting interest. I'm just kind of interested to see how this goes. And I'm excited to see... You know, you basically throw two firecrackers into a coffee can. Like, I'm excited to hear the bang. Uh, and, like, I don't, yeah, so I'm just kind of excited for the matchup. I guess on the other hand, you could ask, like, do you feel divided at all in that we both like these two guys and everybody likes both these guys and we're basically throwing them into this match where it's like, go hurt each other, you guys. Like, have a knockdown, drag out, slobber knocker where nobody's the same afterward. <laughs> well... I guess it does seem like a thing, like, is this a video game fight, right? Like, this is what you would do if you had the UFC video game. You're just trying to match up people. Like, it'd be fun. I'm going to kick you in the head, and you're going to throw haymakers at my chin, and you know we'll just see how it happens. And yet, this is happening in real life. And so, I mean, as far as, like, not going to be the same afterwards, both of them seem to just embrace that as a, a lifestyle choice yeah. that they have made. So, if it bothers us, We'd be the only ones. Doesn't seem to bother them that much. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that Justin Gaethje mostly seems like a uh, a fairly normal human being outside the cage, and like has been somewhat uh, realistic about like his fighting style and about like he knows he can't do it forever. He's gonna lose a few because he fights this way, and then you put him in the cage, and he's just like a bloodthirsty maniac. Whereas Donald Cerrone, he's kind of a bloodthirsty maniac all the time. Yeah, yeah. All right. That's going to do it for listener mail this week. If you have a question, a comment, a concern that you want to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. You go to the website, comainevent.com, and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. While you're there, you can sign up for the Breakfast of Champions newsletter. It comes out every Friday morning to catch you up on the news and notes that we miss on all the days that we're not recording the podcast. Stuff always happens. News always breaks. The newsletter itself is short. It's informative. We would love to tell you it's funny. And if you don't like it, it's really easy easy to unsubscribe now see ben i feel like last week's breakfast of champions is a good example in that we got to hear from dr yvette b that's right who wrote us in to answer the question well maybe not answer but to like give her some insight yeah Yeah. bring bring some insight into our discussion from the wednesday live chat how would it be to fight 110 year olds at the same time and as her extensive experience fighting children she was able to uh at least Give us some kind of a basis right. to go on. Let's say fighting children as a martial arts instructor. Right. She's not... Dr. Yvette B is a professional. She's not out here just fighting children for the hell of it. She also, though, seemed to take a lot of joy in, let's say, martial arts victories over children. Described, yeah. like, sidekicking a kid in the chest and knocking him down and feeling pretty good about she that. She basically said we were being too uh, conservative in our approach because we basically said... We both have six-year-olds. We feel like we could fight 106-year-olds for whatever the payout from this magical, mystical wizard that was offering us this opportunity to fight 100 children for a certain amount of money. We thought, okay, we'll take the payoff for the six-year-olds, but the 10-year-olds, you get 110-year-olds out there, maybe you're pushing your luck. Dr. Yvette B. writes in, says, no, no, no. Give me the 10-year-olds for the max payout. 100 is a lot of them, though. I don't know if she's really thinking about that. She has more experience than we do. 
in this particular endeavor. So I'm willing to go with her expertise. Anyway, sign up for the Breakfast of Champions newsletter. There's fun stuff in there every week. As for right now, though, we are going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Well, Ben, Saturday night, while we were out in the woods, far away from civilization, far away from the prying eyes of technology, you walked up to me and you said, you think Leon Edwards is beating Javier Dos Anjos by unanimous decision right now? And I, I laughed and nodded and I said, yeah, you think he's showing a lot of cage control? You think he's uh, displaying a lot of forward pressure? Really, uh, you know, doing it impressively in the eyes of the judges? And we both laughed about it. And he did do that. Like, we, you know, we show up on Sunday, we recap, we, we circle back to, to figure out what happened at uh, UFC on ESPN4, and it turns out Leon Edwards does beat Rafael Dos Anjos by lopsided unanimous decision. Uh, 49-46 twice and 50-45 on the third judge's scorecard. So it, it played out about like we thought it would. Yeah. But that brings up an interesting question about Leon Edwards, and it was something else we talked about off the air together. Guy has won eight fights in a row in the UFC uh, welterweight division right now. His last three now, Donald Cerrone, Gunnar Nelson, and Rafael Dos Anjos. That's an impressive group of recent wins for, for Leon Edwards. And yet, one of the things about Leon Edwards that we were also talking about is like, hard to remember who this guy is. Yeah. When you see the main event of this uh, of this fight card announced and it's Rafael Dos Anjos against Edwards, you look at it and you think, Leon Edwards, uh, that's the three-piece and a soda guy, right? British? (laughs) British just fought Gunnar Nelson? Like, I'm thinking of the right guy? And so, do you think that this is the win that puts Leon Edwards over in our minds with six decisions during this eight-fight win streak and only two stoppages? No. Nope. I think 12 hours from now, I think people have already forgotten it. And this is yet, and we, like, I feel like we talk about this all the time, but I think it continues to be valid. It's one of the drawbacks of this like hard charging UFC schedule. Like you don't get to marinate on anything, you don't get to uh, meditate on anything. It's just like one fight card after another because obviously this fight card is sandwiched in between uh, this fight night where we saw Jermaine Durandamy beat Aspen Ladd quick in the first round and come up this weekend uh, live up there for from Edmonton. Go Blue Bombers, by the way. Uh, UFC 240. Max Holloway against Frankie Edgar. So, like, yeah, Leon Edwards goes out and gets a nice, impressive win over Rafael Dos Anjos on Saturday night, and we essentially have zero time to talk about it. We're going to talk about it on this podcast for a few minutes and then probably never talk about it again until the next time, maybe, Leon Edwards fights. Well, the thing is, when you actually watch Leon Edwards fight, you go, oh, yeah, this guy's good. He's really good. And yet he's good in a way where you're never, like, holy shit, tell me when this guy's fighting again. I got to see. You're just like, you start to think about how he matches up with people and you're like, okay, yeah, like Leon Edwards could be a problem for a whole lot of people in the welterweight division. And yet, he doesn't really have anything, it seems, that captures the attention of fans. It's just like he's going to go out there and be kind of quietly and very, very consistently good in the same exact way and in with the same combination of stuff. And... That just doesn't seem like enough in today's UFC. Yeah. Uh, part of it is because of the breakneck pace. Also, I think being named Leon Edwards probably doesn't. You have a little bit of a, uh, 
Eliza Easy Dos Santos. What's I can't even remember his real name now. That his uh, real name is Easy Dos Santos. Okay, it's the only name you need to know. But like when like he has a name where, as we said before, sounded like just like a mashup of Brazilian fighter names we've heard of. And Leon Edwards is like it just sounds like okay. There's there's two names. That sounds like a real person. That sounds like a guy. And there's nothing really else going on there. It's just like okay, here's a really good fighter who wins these fights and somehow they don't manage to stick in your brain at all. You kind of like when we were talking about it, we we're like, who else did he beat? Gunnar Nelson? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He beat Gunnar Nelson. Yeah. He beat Donald Cerrone, that kind of stuff. And it's like, yeah, he beat Donald Cerrone fight where nobody questioned that he had actually won that fight. And yet you tell me Donald Cerrone's fighting next weekend. I get excited. You tell me Leon Edwards is fighting next weekend. I go, Leon Edwards. Hold on. Let me, let me have a second to think it's about who that is. He's a soda guy. Right, and and the question is, like, afterwards, after this fight, he calls out Jorge Masvidal, and you're like, okay, yeah, that should be a thing that gets you some attention, because you guys had this backstage confrontation, you just won a big fight, he just won a big fight, and yet, if you're Jorge Masvidal, if I'm Jorge Masvidal right now, and the UFC calls me up and is just like, okay, what do you think, you and Leon Edwards... That's yeah. your reward for this flying knee knockout of Ben Askren in the opening seconds, like a damn action movie. We want to put you in there with Leon Edwards next. I I tell them call me back when you when you have something serious. Right. Like I'm not even entertaining that as an option. None of which is fair in the slightest to Leon Edwards because, like you said, you watch him and he's really really good. He's he's basically ambidextrous with the jabs. He's out there popping Rafael dos Anjos in the face with straight rights and straight lefts. He's got the really uh, slick and sneaky kind of elbows off the brakes that he throws with, yeah. with impressive timing, just bloodied the left side of Rafael Dos Anjos's face all to hell. Uh, he was clearly bigger than Dos Anjos, uh, which is maybe another thing that, that undermines some of this work. Like Leon Edwards clearly had a big size advantage against Dos Anjos here. Uh, but like he basically foiled all of the stuff that Dos Anjos likes to do, like met him in the middle, essentially when Dos Anjos started to get, really aggressive in the way that he can on the feet. He clinched with him. He took him down. He defended Dos Anjos' takedowns. Uh, so really like a really proficient and great all-around game plan executed flawlessly for Leon Edwards. And I'm a guy historically in the sport that has, has championed competition over everything else. Like, I think if you win eight fights in the UFC, especially in the welterweight division, like, you ought to be rewarded for that. That's really, really impressive. And I've been sometimes both down on the theatrics of the sport and uh, embarrassed by the theatrics of the sport, especially when it doesn't come off maybe the way guys think it's going to. But at this point, even I have to admit that if you are a person like Leon Edwards, like you do need a little something extra when there are 500 other people on the UFC roster and there's 42 events every year and the UFC is going to do 500 individual fights this year. Like if you want me to remember you, you have to do something memorable or else I'm just going to forget about it and immediately start looking forward to Max Holloway versus Frankie Edgar. So it's a tough spot for guys to be in because Leon Edwards is just hella technically proficient. Just yeah. really, 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 really good at fighting. Yeah. Like kind of like a, um, like a studio musician kind of, who is just like, he's going to show up there, whatever guitar riff you need from Leon Edwards, he can give you. And it doesn't matter. He could stay in the studio all day and he's going to play pop songs in the morning. He's going to do some thrash metal when the guys come through in the afternoon. Then he's going to do some classical guitar, some, you know, 
really fancy flamenco acoustic guitar kind of shit later on. Gonna do some some jazz uh, standards uh, to close out the day. He can do it all, and yet. Nobody is sitting there being like, when is that new Leon Edwards record drop? Right. Like he's, he's just, he's that guy who can kind of has all the skills and all the technical ability and yet doesn't know how to, like Bruce Springsteen can't play half the shit he does, but Bruce Springsteen knows how to stand there and look fucking cool with the guitar. And that's the thing that sells at the end of the day. And then, I mean, it's hard to see, like if you were trying to plot a path for Leon Edwards to the UFC welterweight title, it's hard to do because it's just hard to see how he gets to that next level unless there's nobody else available. Right. He's one of these guys where you're like, well, he's got to win like 12 in a row. <laughs> well, he's and frankly, he's the way. almost there. Yeah. So he just needs to keep winning until there just frankly isn't anybody left to fight. What about Rafael Dos Anjos here? Obviously, the former lightweight champion. He's one and three now in his last four. He's lost to Colby Covington, Kamaru Usman, and now Leon Edwards. Dos Anjos is out here rocking that mustache. His last couple fights. Yeah. yeah which is, is like, that's better than nothing in terms of getting noticed and, and being remembered. Because you'll be like, Javier Dos Anjos, he's the one who looks like a cop now. Yeah. He's the one who looks like a Brazilian private eye. But at 34 years old, which again is not old or over the hill, uh, Javier Dos Anjos might find himself in a little bit of a tough spot here. He went up to welterweight in 2017 and originally... Looked really good, won three in a row, and then lost to Covington uh, in a fight for the interim welterweight championship. And then that kind of turned the corner for him here. He's had a tough go ever since. Where does Rafael Dos Anjos go from here? What do we think he should do? And, and kind of like, what do we expect from him? Yeah, another really, really legitimately tough guy. And I think that's one of the things that makes this Leon Edwards win even more impressive is that, uh, that we oftentimes forget how good Dos Anjos is until he shows up and, and tools somebody. But now... He's on a little bit of a skid. He just lost to this guy who's kind of climbing his way up. What do you want to see? What do you expect from Rafael Dos Anjos moving forward after this? I mean, it is tough because if you look at who he's been beaten by, it does feel like he's fallen on hard times a little bit. But in the last five years, right, I'll tell you who he's lost to. Leon Edwards, Kamara Usman, Colby Covington, Tony Ferguson, Eddie Alvarez, Khabib Nurmagomedov. That's it. That's a good list. There's no bad fighters in that list. Like, that's, that shows you, I guess, like, what a shark tank it is at both lightweight and welterweight. Like, there's so many good fighters there. And it seems like the UFC has been kind of content to use Rafael Dos Anjos as a guy that is just a, a kind of springboard for other fighters. They did it twice in a row, basically, with Colby Covington and Kamaru Usman. Like, both guys end up getting the interim titles off of beating uh, Rafael Dos Anjos. So it's like, I don't know if you, you get to a point where you've outlived your usefulness in that way to the UFC, and maybe it ends up being a good thing for you. Maybe they are then looking for, like, okay, would be fun for Rafael Dos Anjos. I don't know. But it does seem like we've seen as high as he's going to climb in the UFC at this point. I don't know. Right now, I'm starting to think, if I'm, if I'm Rafael Dos Anjos, maybe I'd go over there and whip some mass in Bellator. Whoa! You know what I'm saying? You and Miles Jury. Yeah. Fury Jury just signed with Bellator. I saw that. So, yeah. Wow. Career reinvention. Kind of a... Uh, probably whip some ass in Bellator. Not a terrible idea. All right. Let's do Are You Fucking Kidding Me, Ben? And then we'll move on to round number one. Ben, I'm going to encourage everybody to go over to the MMA Junkie 
and read Nolan King's story about Terrence McKinney, who fights at uh, Dana White's Contender Series coming up this week. A lot of people calling Nolan King the new Ben Folks. Who who's calling him over that? there at uh, MMA Junkie? Just just because I left and then he he's sitting took at a job your old there? desk. I'm still in sitting the, at my desk. In it's the, the only bowl. one I've ever had. It's at my house. Anyway, Terrence standing desk. McKinney, former stud college wrestler, both at uh, Chadron State and at North Idaho College, got himself into a pretty bad night partying in Spokane, Washington. Well, that's already a bad start. That's where you start if you want to have a bad night. Then he takes LSD and mushrooms. Wait, both of them? That's according to the story. That's oh, come what, on. That's what happens here. Come on. He's trying to party before the weather turns cold, which up here in the Pacific Northwest is a legitimate thing. Like, get your partying out in the warm weather before it gets super uh, cold outside. I can tell you from experience, you can still do LSD and mushrooms, ideally separately, in the cold weather. You just stay indoors. Takes two kinds of hallucinogens, drinks a couple few soda pops, falls through a glass window, and in his words... Almost cuts his neck off. (laughs) My head went through a window, McKinney said. I almost cut my neck off because I pulled my head back through the glass after I fell through it. I was so overwhelmed by the drugs that I fainted. I don't know if that's why you fainted. It's because you're overwhelmed by the drugs after nearly cutting your neck off. In any case, he died twice on his way to the hospital. Heart stopped twice. Was resuscitated by medical professionals. He's now making his way in mixed martial arts. He's going to fight on the Dana White Contender Series, I guess, tomorrow night. Are you fucking kidding me? I have no further statement. Are you fucking kidding me? You're, just, you're saying, are you fucking kidding me about That's crazy! The situation? He twice. He fell through a window and cut his neck off. Well, I hope we all learn something from this. Parts of your body that you want, you could live with if you cut them off. Neck, not one of them. Can't cut the neck off. The important takeaway here is that... Choose between LSD and mushrooms. Like, put one in a this desk drawer. This is your takeaway? Yeah. This is your takeaway. Put one in a desk drawer and be like, you know what? That's for that's for another time. This evening, I am just going to do the LSD. Or I'm just going to do the mushrooms. And then have yourself a fun time. Have yourself a good evening out there in Spokane. And then, you know what? A couple weeks goes by and you're like, oh, I'm in the mood for another psychedelic experience. Oh, look. Look what's here in the desk drawer. It's another separate hallucinogen. And are you fucking kidding me for Terrence McKinney's bad night in Spokane? A second are you fucking kidding me for Ben Folks' response? Shout out to Nolan King. Good story over on the MMA Junkie. Ben, what's your are you fucking kidding me this week? Well, Chad, round two, we're going to end up talking about your guy, John Jones. JBJ. Some of the stuff that's going on with him. And we're going to get more into the specifics of that here in a couple of minutes. But after John Jones is charged with battery for an alleged incident at a strip club, people have some thoughts, which is to be expected. Yeah. One of those people is your guy, Brendan Schaub, who gets on his Twitter and reply tweets to Mark Raimondi's story, UFC's Jones faces battery charge after incident. And his take here, versus former professional fighter turned professional comedian, Brendan Schaub, Before the fans slash media throw Jones under the bus, let's take into consideration the woman who accused John of this goes by the name Cinnamon. Are you fucking kidding me, man? That's a dumb guy tweet right there. That's not a good tweet. Nope, that's a bad tweet. Also, this is is Brendan Schaub trying to make it in the world of comedy? Yeah. 
Does he think like, you know what the world of like stand-up comedy would be really into right now? Right about now. What, what the mood in the room in the stand-up comedy world would be really in favor of is me taking a shot at this alleged victim. Yep. Like they would be really into that. If I can get it, read the room, man. Read the room that you apparently would like to be in. Because they're, I'm going to say, less into this now than they probably have ever been. Are you fucking kidding me? How would you let this one get out of the drafts? Fucking kidding me. Fucking kidding me. That's going to do it for round number one. We will be right back with round number two. Jed, you know, people are always asking me, Ben, in what ways is the CME podcast a lot like public radio? And I've thought about it, and I've decided that there's basically two ways. One, we will put any motherfucker's music on the air if you ask us nicely enough. And two, we are only able to continue doing this thanks to the generous support of listeners like you. Now, our hosting costs, our fancy equipment that you see here, just the time we take out of our day to do multiple installments of the CME per week. All of that is paid for through our Patreon. Over there, we got three different levels of support, beginning at a measly $1 a month, which is like $1 a month, that's not even really money, and goes all the way up to 10 bucks per month for our beloved top-tier patrons. In exchange, you get access to all kinds of extra content from weekly live chat on Wednesday, our Friday Power Hour podcast, our twice-a-month movie club. You also get to support a truly independent show with unfettered discourse, and you get to join a fart, fun, smart, just enjoyable community of listeners to be around. All you have to do, head over to patreon.com slash co-main event. You keep this thing free of ads. Keep the discourse unfettered. You keep it all going strong for the people, Chad. For the people. That's right. And we do appreciate everyone's support. Keep the CME unfettered and ad-free from now to infinity. Infinity. Yeah. Until one of us dies. And then, you know, with the way medical science is going, that might not even be the end. I'll die twice. They'll bring me back. I already have a soundboard, basically, of all your classic one-liners. So if you die, I can just keep doing the podcast. Every now and then I'll just push a button and you'll be like, ha, 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 yes. And I'll just carry on. <laughs> well, I, I'm in one way, I'm kind of terrified. In another way, I, it, this feels freeing. I can die now. I wish you would. I can die. Uh, John Jones, Ben. Oh, okay. Yeah. A lot of talk headed into this current phase of his career. He's fought uh, three times since... December 29th, 2018. Let's just say essentially three times already this year. He's been uh, talking a lot about how he wants to stay busy, about how he wants to fight all these up-and-coming contenders at 205 pounds. He's turned over a new leaf. He's trying to do it positive for the kids in America. And then we get this. You got to be living a certain kind of life where you have a battery charge against you stemming from an incident at a strip club and you don't even know about it you it's the media who tells you about it reporters call you up be like hey what do you have to say about this battery charge and you're like huh i didn't know i had a battery charge which strip club's that from (laughs) like that that alone is an unusual twist here but it also doesn't it feel like there was a part of you waiting for this 
waiting for this the next John Jones bad news out of the cage story to drop. Yeah, I mean, it's exactly what we talked about after the last bad news out of the cage story dropped about how John Jones, in a way not necessarily dissimilar to a guy like Conor McGregor, feels like he is on this trajectory where he's going to be in a lot of uh, ticky-tack, small, personal brushes with the law and scrapes, and he's going to emerge un un uh you know unimpacted by any of them until suddenly he's not until suddenly one of these things is going to be a bigger deal than the rest of them and i feel like this puts us right back on that path because yeah. once you actually read the details of this alleged uh incident in the in the strip club down there in albuquerque this one's pretty bad man this is one it of the is. worst ones we've heard about yet in the sordid saga of jonathan dwight jones Here's from the uh, the MMA junkie story on it. Uh, according to an initial report from TV news station K- KRQE in Albuquerque, where Jones lives, Jones allegedly had a forceful encounter with a cocktail waitress at TD's Eubank Show Club. In a police report obtained by MMA junkie, the woman said Jones, 32, quote, was being persistent about her giving him a table dance, which she, quote, consistently told Jones was against policy for waitresses to give dan- dances. The alleged victim accuses Jones of pulling her to his lap and kissing her neck, placing her in a, quote, tight rear naked chokehold, picking her up off the ground, and slapping her in her vagina. She said Jones ignored her requests to stop his behavior and continued touching her until he left the strip club. Quote, the whole situation is so complicated, I'm not really sure what to, what to say, and this person gets away with expletive everything, the alleged victim told police. Yeah, see, there's a, an, uh, a pertinent point yep. in that quote from the alleged victim here. And not necessarily a, an inaccurate one, because as we have seen time and time again, it feels like John Jones does get away with everything. Yeah, it does seem like all this stuff that's happened where you're like, okay, surely this must be the situation where he faces meaningful consequences like anybody else would if they had done these things. And in the end, no, not really. It doesn't really amount to much. And then you have something like this. Now, his a, a spokesperson on his behalf uh, said that this was a, quote, false accusation. And says that he, that Mr. Jones immediately went to pay the small fee and he and multiple witnesses stand ready to factually refute the malicious lies being told about him to the public. I don't know exactly what the situation in this strip club was, but you would think that maybe there would be some footage of this, You right? would think that if this is false, it would be easily disprovable. Right. Not only do most establishments like this have some kind of in-house security system or other employees, but you got to think they're probably not the only two people there. Right. You'd think that maybe the uh, this particular club would have some other patrons that maybe witnessed what was happening. Well, and John Jones's response on Twitter is interesting, too, because he's basically telling people, oh, you know, don't believe everything you read on the Internet. A slight twist on Dana White's don't believe anything you read, which <laughs> you know, is an argument that just falls apart in on itself. Uh, also though, somebody was like, Hey, you need to stay inside because like there are people who want to see you fail. And he replies, I know there's a whole bunch of people hoping for my downfall, but there's even more who are proud of me and love seeing me do well and screw staying inside. I love this community excited to keep climbing. Haters going to be mad when I win in December. I love this community as a, like, of course I have to keep going to the strip club. That's why everyone goes to the strip club to support the community because the community deserves it. The community needs me in that strip club. And I don't, if, 
if you're John Jones and you're going to respond to this by being like, this is just completely false and nothing like this ever happened at all, here's where it would sure be nice to have a reputation that was a little better standing. Because so many people who have been following John Jones's career, they hear something like this and they go, okay, so here's the next one. Like, here's the next story. Here's the next thing that he did and that we're all going to wait to see how it plays out. And then we're not going to be surprised when nothing really happens to him. But, like... Every, there's so many people out there who are just ready to believe a story like this about John Jones because of everything that's come before. Yeah. And, you know, just to circle back to the, the quote from the alleged victim and the, the, we were talking about reading the room and the climate right now and, and believing victims when they come forward to allege that this kind of crime happened. But like, I feel like that's, that quote is actually like an instructive window into how you feel when something like this happens to you because yeah. you totally understand why someone like this would look at John Jones and look at his past. And I, if you're from Albuquerque, you probably know most of the ins and outs of what John Jones has been up to the last few years. And you might think to yourself, do I even come forward about this? Like, do I even make an issue about it? Because what are the odds that like, this is going to be worth my time? What are the odds that this is the the one incident in a long string of incidents where suddenly it matters yeah well and imagine like put yourself in that situation you know obviously we don't know exactly what happened but if you're a woman working in a strip club you're a waitress serving drinks in this club and john jones enormous professional fighter is harassing you, picking you up off your feet, putting you in a chokehold, and slapping your genitals in like what is just a sexual assault. Yeah. And then you're going, all right, what am I supposed to do here? He won't stop. And I, if I report it to police, he's rich and famous, and he has, from what I've seen, faced no real consequences for anything that he's done. We've already seen him skate out of multiple situations. Right. And so it's like, what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to put myself in this fray and deal with all like the, the tidal wave of shit always comes uh, and that the, the victims always end up having to deal with in a situation like this, or do I just shut up and then feel bad about it in a different way? Yeah. Like, I mean, it, it's awful. And the, the kind of like resignation in that quote of like, this person gets away with everything and feeling like, whether he did this or not, I don't believe that there's anything that major that is going to come out of this. Like, just from what we've seen. It, it, how do you not get depressed and just feel kind of like it's all for nothing? I don't know, man. Yeah, and like a far, far less important aspect of this. This incident took place in April, which puts it in between his fights against Anthony Smith and Tiago Santos. I don't know if he would have started a full-on camp for Tiago Santos yet at that point because he didn't fight Tiago Santos until July 6th. But it's it's like, if you believe that this happened, if you believe that this is a true account, it's like another example that undermines John Jones's ongoing narrative about where he is and what's going on in his career, which makes maybe we're all at this point kind of like, yeah, we figured that everything he was saying was bullshit, and now maybe we have some evidence to back that up. Yeah, because it did seem like, okay, this was going to be the year of nose to the grindstone, just consistent output, defending the title over and over again, and we're not in the club with his shirt off 
were in the gym with your shirt off and we're getting ready to, for the next fight as soon as the, this fight is over. And, uh, this is the year of like really maximizing potential and not wasting any of it with outside distraction stuff. And then something like this happens. And especially if it happened in April, that means you made it through like, you know, the first quarter basically, uh, without incident. The, the whiteboard and the John Jones corporate offices of like, we've gone this many days without an outside the cage incident had to get wiped off. Yeah. And you just, it feels like, okay, it's, uh, we're right on schedule here. Nothing has really changed. Yeah. Anyway, we'll see what happens with John Jones. We'll see what happens with the, uh, veracity of this incident and we'll see what happens, uh, in terms of consequences for John Jones who is still planning on fighting at the end of the year, if you believe the social media posts that he put out about this in the last couple of days. In any case, that'll do it for round number two. We'll be right back with round number three. Well, Ben, coming up this Saturday night... From the Rogers Place in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Does it seem like every arena in Canada is named the Rogers something or other? It's like there's like a Rogers Center. Right? Yeah, Rogers Arena, I believe, is over in Vancouver. You got Rogers Place in Edmonton. Whoever Roger is, he owns a lot of arenas. Yeah, he's busy. He's an arena magnate up there in Canada. That must be how it works. It's the only thing I can think of. Interesting card here for a UFC pay-per-view. Of course, you got... Your main event, featherweight title fight, Max Holloway versus Frankie Edgar, and your co-main, Chris Cyborg versus Felicia Spencer. Uh, notable, I guess, mostly because of the appearance of Chris Cyborg. Felicia Spencer is a person who just appeared on the UFC scene and uh, is now getting this chance to to fight Chris Cyborg. Other than that, there's not a ton of stuff happening on this fight card. You got OAM, you got Nico Price, you got Christoph Jotko. You got some people that we've heard of, but at the same time, like I don't look at this and it doesn't scream to me hot selling pay-per-view. No, no, it does not. Although Max Holloway versus Frankie Edgar, legitimately a fight that most people are probably going to want to watch, despite the fact that Holloway is probably going off as, as a fairly sizable favorite. Yeah, he is going off as a sizable favorite. And I don't feel like if you are one of the, buyers of UFC pay-per-views where the only way they get you is by putting together events that you can't miss that where you're like, okay, I must be there for this one live. I must watch it all live. I can't wait until tomorrow. I can't wait for the highlights to come out on Twitter. I got to see it. I got to see it all. Yeah. This is not that even the Max Holloway, Frankie Edgar fight is not that because I think most people are going in being like, Okay, we're giving Frankie Edgar another title shot, huh? Yeah. Max Holloway probably going to beat him, and then we're going to get back to figuring out the real business at Featherweight. But uh, sure, let me know how it turns out. I think I already know, and I will look for the gifts later on. I think that's how most people are going to approach this. And even with the Chris Cyborg, okay, we're giving Chris Cyborg a grappler, huh? All right, uh, which of the weird... Uh, 
social media accounts or social media services I use is going to have the inevitable image of her pounding a hole in this person's face because that's all I'm going to need to see is that 20-second clip at the end. Yeah. For Max Holloway, it comes up at kind of an interesting time, though. He just had his 13-fight win streak snapped at UFC 236. In April, he moved up to lightweight to fight Dustin Poirier for the interim lightweight championship and obviously lost the decision there. So he goes back down to 145 pounds to resume his tenure as champion uh, I said at the top of the show, I wondered if it was a must win for Max Holloway. I don't necessarily know how much that loss at 155 pounds uh, impedes his legacy or undermines his reputation, but you come down to featherweight again, where you are, you know, the unanimous top fighter in the world. You're fighting a guy in Frankie Edgar, who is 37 years old, obviously a former lightweight champion himself, a respected guy. I think a well-liked fighter. But you should beat him. And Frankie Edgar is one and one, frankly. Uh, three and one in his last four, if you want to get technical. He's coming off a unanimous decision win over Cub Swanson, but he just got knocked out by Brian Ortega at UFC 222 last March. So for Max Holloway, it's one that like, okay, man, you better, you better win this if you want to continue to go about the business of being Max Holloway. Yeah. And it does, though, seem like... I'm trying to envision scenarios where Frankie Edgar wins this fight and how Frankie Edgar wins this fight, and I can't quite get there. Yeah, I mean, I honestly think it's something of an interesting matchup of styles because Max Holloway is really technical, and one of the things he does is throw a lot of different stuff at you in a way that kind of overwhelms you both physically and mentally. Like, he's throwing so many different techniques at you that your brain basically can't handle it like you well, can't process all that information and then come up with a way to counter what all of what max holloway is doing and but he wants you to try he wants you to be like yeah hey you're gonna plant your feet and throw back at me like try to hit me with something hard enough to get me to stop please please do that let's yeah. both in matter of fact let's both do that and let's see who's still standing there at the end of it and frankie edgar at least in theory has a style that plays into that a little bit because we know what Frankie Edgar does on the feet. Like he's got a pretty handy boxing game and he's going to go out there and probably try to impose that on Max Holloway. And yet, as everybody knows, Frankie Edgar comes from that wrestling background. He's got, you know, at least in his prime, he had one of the more impressive kind of like knee tap takedowns that you would see that he could basically hit on some people with no warning. God knows if he can still do it. God knows if he can do it to, to Max Holloway. But if he can, if he does it a couple times, I think maybe you have an interesting fight on your hands. If you can't, well, then you probably got a Max Holloway TKO in the first few rounds here. Yeah, it's just hard for me to see Frankie Edgar being able to go in there and really wrestle Max Holloway too effectively. I think size and age and sprightliness difference, that's a word, right? One of them seems a little more spry these days, yeah. I guess is what I'm trying to say. And it's just like, I can't quite picture Frank Yeager putting Max Holloway down and keeping him there long enough to do anything with him. If he has to stand there with the guy, no one doubts Frank Yeager's toughness, but it also seems like Max Holloway just hits you in the face with a whole bunch of stuff over and over again until you kind of can't take it anymore. I don't know. This one does feel like we're all hitting pause on the featherweight division to be like, let's do Frankie Edgar a favor here. Frankie, he's been a good guy. He's a good guy, and he's he's done what the UFC has asked, and 
He got some bad deals along the way, but he was always willing to step up and fight. And this is our way of saying thank you. Yeah. The way you say thank you is let him get punched in the face 125 times by Max Holloway. Yeah. Do you have the odds for this fight handy anywhere? Because I do. like, yeah. What what are what actually are they? You're looking at Max Holloway as about a four to one favorite. Yeah, that seems right. Frank Yedger going off around three to one underdog, a little bit higher some places. You can get plus three forty some places. Um, but yeah, that feels a pretty accurate assessment to me. You know, I love an underdog. I know you do. But at the same time. I don't even know if I had 20 bucks that I ever wanted to see again. I don't know that, that the return on my investment justifies it. In this it's just hard to case. picture. Just hard to picture how he wins it. Maybe he'll surprise us. Maybe. Maybe he's got a Uriah Faber style uh, comeback in him. He surprised me before. He has. I'll say yeah. that. Yeah. I actually at one time had to decide to myself that I was going to stop underestimating Frankie Edgar because I picked against him in a bunch of fights and I was like, this motherfucker keeps winning these fights. And I was like, I'm gonna, I just got to stop picking against him. I mean, it would be a great feel-good story for the old guys. Frankie Edgar comes in here and wins one and becomes UFC featherweight champion. I mean, considering the aging nature of the UFC demographic, maybe you could do worse. Maybe, maybe you could do worse than have Frankie Edgar win one worse. for the old guys here. Is this the last fight on Cyborg's deal? Her deal, she's got one is. of these deals that expires in a certain amount of time, and this might be the last fight uh, on her deal. She's obviously coming off this UFC 232 loss to Amanda Nunez. Uh, but aside from that, had gone a whole lot of years and a whole lot of fights without a loss. What's your gut tell you about what happens to Chris Cyborg after this? Is she going to work it out with the UFC? Or uh, is there a reunion, a reunion of sorts with, with Scotty Cox on the horizon? I would have to think that the UFC would see the benefit in keeping Chris Cyborg around. Especially if she goes out there and smashes Felicia Spencer, which she probably will. Yeah. And then if you let her walk, it's bad for the UFC for two reasons. One is, what are you supposed to do now with Amanda Nunes? Because she's kind of beaten everybody there is to beat who matters at the moment at bantamweight. And at featherweight, there really isn't much of a division. There's not a whole lot you can do with her aside from a Cyborg rematch that would get people's attention right now. So it seems like you need Chris Cyborg in the short term for that. But also... If you let her go and she goes over there to Bellator, she could really help out right now. Yeah. Bellator could really do something with Chris Cyborg. Now, maybe you're thinking, you know how she negotiates. You know that if she does go over to Bellator, they're probably going to end up paying a whole lot for her. Maybe you like that. Maybe you're just thinking that, hey, let's use this as like Bellator. Go ahead and, and siphon off some of your money getting Chris Cyborg near the tail end of her career or near the tail end of her her usefulness, if that's how you're thinking of it. But I don't know, man. I think that there's a whole lot of reasons why if you're the UFC where you'd be like, we can still do some business here. Let's come to some understanding. Yeah. You got Dana White out here doing and saying Dana White stuff uh, about Chris Cyborg, which leads you to believe that they're probably trying to get a deal done. Talking about how he knows Amanda Nunes wants to fight again. They want the fight again. Does Chris Cyborg want the fight again? Which is pretty uh, textbook Dana White stuff. Uh and I agree with you. I think it might be a situation where you just want to keep Chris Cyborg away from anybody else. And she's probably a person that you can still uh, do some interesting things with. At the same time, we've seen the UFC make a few personnel moves recently that have been kind of like, we wish you well in your future endeavors. Good luck to you. Don't let the, the door hitch on your ass on the way out type moves. Yeah. They're feeling their oats right now. So Chris Cyborg, notorious as kind of like a... Uh, 
a hard negotiator. Like she's going to want to get what she needs to get if she's going to sign a new deal. So I wouldn't also be all of that surprised to see, uh, to see things fall apart either. Well, that's just the pessimist in you always waiting for things to fall apart. Or is it the optimist in me? Who wants to see Chris Cyborg over there fighting Julia Budd? Who knows? Man, the, the Scotty Coke strike force reunion signings for Bellator are some of my favorite Bellator she, signings in a way. The, the man loves to do them. He does. We can say that conclusively. He does. I'm just saying, let's not totally write it off that Scotty Cokes and Chris Cyborg are having lunch today in L.A. for all we know. We just don't know. Oh, well, I mean, she's got to get on a plane to Edmonton, catch a Blue Bombers game or something. I guess that's true. Go Blue Bombers, by the way. I hope she doesn't go to the wrong Rogers Arena. Go that's to, confusing, right? Yeah. Go to one in a different part of Canada. Yeah, she, if she goes to Winnipeg, maybe she could actually watch a Blue Bombers game. I don't know. You don't know. Let's do Just Saying Stuff, and then we'll get out of here for this week, Ben. What's your Just Saying Stuff? Well, Chad, as you and I have made mention of several times already on this podcast, we spent the weekend camping. Yeah. Out in the wilderness of northwestern Montana, also like basically southern Canada. Really far away from almost everything. Right. I know we're getting close to the Canadian border when I'm driving north in Montana when I start to see people flying the flag, the, the Canadian flag. The only other time you see it is at the hockey rink. But then you start to see people along the road flying the flag. You're, okay, Those I'm, are people. I'm getting close. They're hedging their bets about the invasion. Yeah. When the Canadians come storming over the border, they want to be like, look, we're friendly. Yeah, see? Here. We've been flying this for years. Now, I did not initially realize, I think, when I went on this camping trip that this card was on ESPN and not ESPN+. Plus. Right. And so I got home and I fired up my ESPN+, Plus, looking for the fights and realized they weren't there. Yeah. And then I realized, oh man, it was on ESPN. Did I set my DVR? Well, no, because no one does that anymore. That feels like an antiquated thing somehow already to, th- to think like setting your DVR. But I'm like, okay, hey, I subscribe to ESPN+. Plus. I pay for ESPN through my uh, cable Provider, surely I'll be able to find it on here somewhere, right? I give them the money any way they ask me for money, I give it to them. Surely they just give me what I want. Just give me the thing that you guys own the exclusive like broadcast rights to. Just give it to me. I pay you in every platform that you have. Right now, are you saying, give it to me, it's mine? You know how I ended up watching these fights? On the internet? On the internet. MMA core? I'm not giving away my secrets. Okay. <laughs> not giving away my secrets because I don't want them to get yanked down. But I, I, a person who buys all the ESPN stuff that they have and who watches all the UFC cards, every time the UFC and ESPN, they come, they're like, we figured out a new way for you to give us money. And I go, okay. And I have to end up going to the internet, using the internet's dark arts to find these fights. Chad, I'm just saying... A different man might come away from this experience deciding, I don't need to keep giving you my money for this stuff. You forced me to go and look for it in a way that does not benefit you without paying you. Not me, but another type of individual might come away from this going, I don't need this shit anymore. I can just, I can do it illegally. I can do it with the internet's dark arts. I'm just saying. Just saying, wow. I'm just saying, maybe make it a little bit easier for the people who are giving you the goddamn money in every possible way to just see the stuff. Just give me the stuff. Give it to him. It's his. 
Well, Ben, I'm going to keep it short and sweet this week. A quote from Tito Ortiz from uh, Danny oh, Segura come on. Come on. over here at uh, MMA Fighting. When Combate came to me and offered me Alberto Del Rio, I thought they were kidding. I thought it was a joke. But they put their money where their mouth is, and now it's all about the fight. I'm just saying, you're not alone, Tito. <laughs> you're not alone. Is that him selling us this fight? I mean, he says some other stuff in here also, but that's the thing I really honed in on. Thought it was a joke. Anyway, that's going to do it for this week's Co-Main Event Podcast. Uh, we'll be back next week. We're going to tell you about all the stuff that happens at UFC 240, and then we will look ahead to UFC on ESPN5. Now, Ben, this is another word that's on the television. So okay. if you're not going to be around, you may want to uh, set the DVR set like the it's DVR. fucking 2009. Of course, Robbie Lawler versus Colby Covington is your headliner fight on that one. Also, you got Jim Miller versus Clay Guida. So, uh, so you got some stuff that you may want to watch on that. As for right now, though, we are done. We are through. We are out. How you feeling about watching Point Break? I mean, there's a couple of days it. left for uh, Miller's Crossing to pull off uh, a comeback. It's been really solidly down by 30 votes the entire time, all the way through. So maybe it's a long shot at this point, but I'm not going to give my concession speech until all of the polling is closed. Just embrace it, man. You want to get radical. I want to get radical. Well, here's the thing, man. I feel like we should just watch it so you stop holding the movie club hostage so we don't have to roll point break over again into next week. I don't care what anybody's motives are as long as it ends with us watching and discussing point break. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. Point Break is going to be just fine. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be 